0: I think this is a Netflix movie in the making
1: (laughs) What would the title be, Lily?
0: La Portada Podcast with Simon Hunter and Lily Mayers
1: I'm not amazingly intelligent,
0: but I'm not a stupid person Your English is so good
1: Every time you think, well, this couldn't get any more bizarre and there couldn't be a a weirder news story they managed to excel themselves
0: Was that Juan Carlos? Invita a Simon a una pinta de Guinness
1: I think we've sufficiently lowered the tone Please (laughs) haven't found the wine It's because you're better looking than me
0: ¿Listos? ¡Sí! ¡Vamos allá!
1: Buenos días, buenas tardes y buenas noches whenever and wherever you are listening from you are most welcome to La Portada which is coming to you live from various parts of Spain for this episode 3 of season (laughs) 3 my name is Simon Hunter I'm a British journalist based in Madrid and I'm accompanied, albeit remotely by my co-host Lily Mayers an Australian journalist also living in the Spanish capital and we are here talking to you direct into your ears because we love Spain and we want to bring you the best stories, news and interviews from this fantastic country. We wade through all the Spanish news so that you don't have to, which is really quite a service. So, Lily, you're in a cupboard. Where are you? <laughs> what are you doing this week? What's going on?
0: Um, hi, everyone. I'm, I'm in a cupboard in uh, the beautiful town of Javier in Alicante on Spain's southeast coast. I'm at a summit of journalists who uh, I don't think they're in their cupboards right now. Um, but we're all here to look at work for the Sonda Association um, so it's it's a journalism focused job, but I just happened to be in such a beautiful location and we couldn't let the distance affect things this week, could we Simon?
1: No, absolutely not. Is it raining there?
0: No, I don't think it is.
1: Oh well, lucky you because I was pouring nice, down here in Madrid. I've spent all week in rainy Avila, but it didn't yes. bother yes. Yeah, it didn't bother me at all. It was beautiful. We had these beautiful sights of the Guredos mountains that were all. You know, shrouded in mist and low cloud, and we've just been shutting uh, my uh, in-laws' place all week, playing playing the Wii mostly with my kids. <laughs> it's been great fun. My son, Mateo, absolutely whipped our asses at bowling. It was uh, it was actually quite embarrassing, but yeah, really nice week because we've had this long bank holiday week this week with the two days off it's been uh, a nice time to get a little bit of downtime although i was still working my wife was was off which was nice for her so yeah it's been it's been a nice it's been a nice week
0: beautiful so cozy i can yeah. imagine very fireplace and you know yeah, once,
1: once we got the house warm, because my goodness, it was cold when we arrived. But yeah, once we warmed it up, it was lovely. As usual, a massive thank you to our supporters on Patreon. We really appreciate your contributions. If you are not already a patron, and seriously, why wouldn't you be? Head to patreon.com forward slash laportadapod and invite us to a
0: relaxing cup of café con leche in Plaza Mayor.
1: That's all we ask for so that we can keep the podcast going long term. As a Patreon supporter, you'll get the podcast on Fridays as soon as we finished editing it uh, instead of Sundays and of course you get our bonus content which we like to call Spanta. Uh, The last couple of weeks we've been taking a look at language mishaps in Spanish uh, which has been great fun and also some unusual uh, idioms you might hear in Spain and this week hopefully because it's proving incredibly difficult to pin this man down but we'll be talking to our man in Marbella Journalist, radio presenter, and all round raconteur Giles Brown. But before you rush off to give us your money for coffee and to listen to those bonus episodes, this week we shall be discussing an interesting poll ahead of next year's general election in Spain, the strange case of a convicted reality TV star, and a newspaper interview. And we'll be doing our usual roundup of the week's other big stories. But first, let us look at the World Cup fallout, which gives us a chance, again, to play our football music. Which I'm still not convinced by, but let's hear it. All right, Lily, tell us what happened at Spain's last 16 match against Morocco, and what was the fallout?
0: Well, it was a story that dominated and devastated this week. Spain is officially out of the FIFA World Cup after losing to Morocco in a penalty shootout after extra time on Tuesday. This is the second straight World Cup Spain has left in a penalty shootout. Heartbreakingly, Spain's coach Luis Enrique told reporters the day earlier that all players had been asked to take at least a thousand penalty shots as homework in case it came to that. Well, yesterday he was dismissed as coach. Obviously, his uh, request of the team didn't work. It was also the first time Morocco has made it into the final eight of the World Cup and it immediately sent fans in the stadium and around the world absolutely crazy and in some cases a little destructive. <laughs> in Spain, police were on high alert in case the exuberant celebrations turned riotous. There were a couple of incidents in Bilbao and Madrid and in Granada. Simon, Morocco's win immediately turned political. What's been your take on the World Cup aftermath?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, let's look at the sporting side. As you know, I'm a great expert in uh, football and all things uh, sporting. Um, so I shall uh, give my two cents worth, which I've been studying <laughs> frantically this morning. But yeah, uh, as you said, this is the end of uh, Luis Enrique's time as Spain manager. Uh, Luis de la Fuentes taking over. It's a shame in a way that we're losing a streamer. I like the way that uh, Luis Enrique, he, he basically opened up a Twitch account just before the World Cup. So he could kind of connect directly with fans, talk directly to the fans. But, yeah, I mean, in terms of the football, it was all very disappointing, apart from, you know, that, that, mm. uh, that early victory that they had, that 7-0 victory that they had in, the, in their first game uh, against Costa Rica. It was all very disappointing. A far cry from the glory days of, you know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, which I was telling you about, Lily, in a, in a previous um, episode. Uh, so Enrique, he, he took Barcelona to a Champions League um, victory in 2015, he took charge of um, Spain in 2018. Um, just after they'd exited uh, that year's World Cup, I mean, he he took them to the semi-finals. He took the team to the semi-finals of the Euros um, last year. But uh, it, there's now these questions about their style of play. I mean, this this tiki-taka um, ball possession style, this this uh, these passing the, the passing game that Spain do. It, it seems to have kind of run its course. I mean, it was what helped them win those uh, two European Championships and and the World Cup. Um, you know, a decade ago, um, but hmm. uh, now people are starting to sort of question. You know, if it's time for a, a bit of an overhaul of Spanish soccer, um, or if they just need to adjust their style um, to to you know the, whether it's the, you know the, the teams know how to beat them now. The teams know. I mean, Morocco is just yeah. playing lots of um, defense. Um, like the sports, the Sports Daily said a lot of possession, but not enough shots. Uh, and the newspaper sport, uh, its uh, summary was: Spain clearly dominates, but can't get the goal to advance. And what on earth happened with the penalties? Uh, I've just got no idea. Mm-hmm. But they just looked so lacklustre as they as they went to take those those penalties. But I mean, really, the worst thing about the fallout from the World Cup is that we lose mariano rajoy's columns for uh, el debate um i'm really really sad about that we as we discovered last week the former prime minister has not actually been writing these columns but he's been uh, reading them out <laughs> as voice notes um twitter user elena Ace she this week highlighted phrases from mariano rajoy's last uh world cup column just in case she has to break up with anyone. And these are the phrases that she uh, highlighted. If we could uh, cue the sad music, please. I'm not going to blame anyone for anything because that doesn't fall to me. For my part, I just want to say that it's a shame. We knew that things were missing, but that's just the way things are. In another part of our history, things went better for us. And then she said that this last part is good if you are in a uh, non monogamous relationship and you are breaking up. It's been a pleasure being with all of you. And I send a hug <laughs> for whoever wants it. Thank you. And, uh, one, uh, and, uh, and an actor, I don't know who this guy is, but an actor actually, he actually did the voiceover of uh, Rajoy's phrases. So let's, let's hear a bit of that as well. Se el Mundial para España. Hemos quedado eliminados. Y
0: será Marruecos quien juegue. Los cuartos de final contra el vencedor del Portugal Suiza. Yo no voy a reprochar
1: nada a nadie porque
0: no es mi papel.
1: And uh, elsewhere, there well, was well, sort well. of lots of, um, kind of, uh, Pretty unfortunate fallout from the mm. um, from what was going on because the Quite a lot opponent of racism, exactly no. because the opponent was uh, Morocco. Um, now you can always rely on the Popular Party senator Rafael Hernando to say something outrageous, and uh, he kind of tried to sort of blame the Prime Minister Pedro Sánchez for um, Spain losing to Morocco his, his tweet which everyone thought must have come from a, a joke account was after Pedro Sánchez's Sahara he was referring to the ongoing territorial dispute over Western Sahara and the way that Spain has recently sort of uh, changed its position on that issue uh, he said after Pedro Sánchez's Sahara a new gift for Morocco as his Sanchidad would say today things are better in Morocco I mean it's just absolutely Absolutely bizarre, as if the prime minister oh, was somehow had to blame it for the defeat or if it had anything to do with the, the contested Western Sahara territory. It's very strange. Um, someone replied to that on Twitter that uh, Rafael Hernando just needs one more brandy before he blames Irene Montero in reference to the <laughs> beleaguered, the beleaguered uh, equality minister. But yeah, it was it was weird because there was some... Press reports that the Spanish authorities were really ramping up for disturbances after the game, and as you mentioned, Lily, that was partly to do because there was there were disturbances in Belgium and the Netherlands. I mean in Belgium, it all kicked off in Brussels, it all kicked off because uh, um, you know after Morocco had actually beaten um, Belgium, which was kind of weird, yeah. and there was sort of a lot of unrest on the streets so it was almost as if there were sort of sectors of the press that were almost like willing this to happen. You know, it was this kind of sort of yeah. racist attitude about how, you know, Moroccans were going to go absolutely crazy if they won or if they lost. Um, and there was some terrible racism uh, on show. Twitter uh, was full of the phrase putos moros, which is like effing moors, basically, um, mm. during the game. And this only got worse when spain lost and you know this kind of stuff is is no doubt encouraged by the attitudes of some sort of radical right-wing agitators and one of the worst culprits for this is a is a sort of pseudo journalist called javier negra i mean i'm all i was almost in two minds about whether or not to talk about him On the podcast because I feel kind of bad drawing attention to him, but he runs a channel called um, State of Alarm TV. I mean, he's nicknamed El Condenas, which is the sort of the 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 sentence because he's had so many lawsuits against him that he's Mm. lost. Um, He was very active in uh, causing uh, trouble during the pandemic with all sorts of uh, you know all sorts of bullies and hoaxes and all that kind of stuff and he'd been rousing up trouble ahead of the game predicting that there would be disturbances caused by Spain's Moroccan community which let's not forget is the largest foreign community in Spain, there's about 800,000 um, Moroccan nationals resident in Spain and then after the game he sort of tried to stoke this even more, he tweeted out a video of a fire in the Madrid satellite town of Parla claiming that several Moroccans had burned down a building but it was, I mean it was completely untrue He in the same tweet he pointed out the fact that the socialists uh, were in power there in parallels, if that was a you know sort of direct connection. Yeah. Um, Just- Absolutely. Not. No, exactly. It turned out that the, that fire in Partla was just accidental. It was some pallets that caught fire, and it was put out very quickly. And he kind of did backtrack, but he didn't. He certainly didn't apologise, and he, he actually blamed his mistake on it being a day when a lot of Moroccans are writing in Spain. Uh, he then shared a video of you know Moroccans celebrating in Seoul, which for the most part, as you mentioned, Lily, was completely um, you know Pacific and w- w- with very with yes. little trouble. Um, and he said that it looked like a zoo, which was just so unbelievably oh. racist and if offensive. If
0: Spain had won, the country would be trash this week. <laughs> and it would be fine.
1: And we've all seen it's what England fans do when or British fans do oh when they come to Madrid. Gosh. I mean it's you know that that really does look like a zoo and it's not uh, it's not pleasant at all. And then in Murcia there are all sorts of fun and games as well. The Conservative oh, Popular Party started demanding explanations from the socialist mayor after this photo emerged of a public building that was lit up ostensibly with the colours of the Moroccan flag on the day of the Spain-Morocco game. And Vox, the far-right Vox got in on the act there too, but uh, it turned out that they were Christmas lights. And not only were they Christmas lights, they were Christmas lights that the local water company puts up every year and it just happened to also take place when the Popular Party were in power in the city of Murcia. But uh, it's just, I mean, it was bizarre. But the worst thing about that story for me is the fact that the um, PP didn't actually delete the tweets once it became clear. Uh, and neither did, you know, someone from Vox, Cristina Uh She's one of the founders of Vox and she, you know, she was tweeting about this basically what was a hoax but then didn't delete it and that happened when that happened when i worked at, uh, at the other place there's there's someone shared this someone quite innocently actually trans put our front page through a automatic translation thing on on google and so pablo casado the then head of the pp became pablo married uh, so he had this headline uh-huh. that said you know pa- pablo married says in congress blah 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 and it went viral and everyone just completely you know, any Anyone that hated LPAs, including, you know, right-wing politicians, just totally piled in on us saying, you oh, know, look at this, these guys, you know, idiots, they don't know what they're doing and, you know, look at this translation, blah, oh. blah, blah. Which obviously it was completely fake, so we, you know, went out there and pointed out that it was fake. But even after everyone knew it was fake, some of these politicians failed to delete their tweets, uh, which mm. is just so... Um, irresponsible. Um, journalist Matthew Bennett, who was our friend down in, in Murcia, the British journalist Matthew Bennett, he uh, reported that there was a story um, circulating about a man in Cartagena, uh, also in Murcia who had been murdered by Moroccans because he was wearing a Spanish flag. Again, a complete fabrication. Uh, he called up the... Uh, Matthew called up the national police who confirmed that it was a, you know completely false. And then there had been no notable incidents after the game. Um, so, yeah, pretty disappointing that all of this was going on. But this has been an increasing issue in Spain over recent years, especially, mm. you know, when... This kind of anti immigrant sentiment is being pretty constantly stoked by not just parties um, such as Vox, but also agitators um, such as Javier Negre. But away from the racism rouse, the most bizarre headline to come after the World Cup defeat has to be this one from Marca, um, which mixes uh, future Spanish Queen. Princess Leonor, who's age 17, and the rising star of the national Spanish football team, Gavi. And the headline was, Princess Leonor and her strict diet to stay in shape and get Gavi to fall in love with her. And the subhead was, the possible relationship that could arise between the heir and the football player is the most talked about topic of recent days it's just utterly bizarre it's like talk about you know first of all giving this poor girl a complex about how you know she needs to stay thin (laughs) to attract uh, to potentially attract a footballer when there's absolutely no indication that there's anything going on between the two of them it was just utterly utterly bizarre headline but hey I'm sure it got them some clicks All right, well, let's move on to a little bit of politics. This week, I am delighted to be joined by Rupert Koch, a Barcelona-based journalist who is a non-stop source of interesting tweets and articles on his Substack, which is called Sharpen Your Axe. So uh, welcome, Rupert, to La Portada. Thanks, Simon. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, this week, you were bigged up by another British journalist who I mentioned earlier, another British journalist who is very big on Twitter, Matthew Bennett, in one of his email bulletins this week. Did you see this, Rupert? Uh,
2: Was it the one where he was talking about uh, he was talking to a minister? (laughs) Yes.
1: He told the story about meeting a senior government minister who asked his assistant, Who's that other English guy? The one who asks a lot of questions? And the answer is you, Rupert. <laughs> so, Mister Question Man, tell us a, a little bit uh, about what it is that you do. First of all, what I uh,
2: I'm uh, I'm the Spanish bureau chief with Merger Market. Merger Market is uh, a financial publication. It's all behind a paywall, and we publish what we call actionable intelligence, which is uh, news stories that mean that people in finance and business can go away and take the information and do something with it and merger market the merger market group changed its name to Acuris in 2019 it was sold to a software company called Ion and we're one of the few unicorns in uh, in journalism which is a great success story I've been running the Spanish bureau for them since 2005 and always kept a kind of low um Low, fairly low profile on Twitter until about 2017. Based in, based in Barcelona, the nationalists uh, started going off in a very strange direction, and I felt that as a journalist, I had a duty to fact check some of their narratives, and
1: uh, it got completely crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, you like to get into it with the Catalan nationalists, is what you're saying.
2: Well, I just think as a journalist,
1: fact checking is the basic
2: skill, you know, and if someone says Spain is a fascist state okay, let's see if Spain really is a fascist state or not. Let's maybe look at some of the democracy indexes and, uh, and you know, define fascism. And when you do that, you, you see that Spain quite obviously
1: isn't a fascist state.
2: <laughs> and that, that then gets you into trouble with a lot of the uh, the nationalists who, who are utterly convinced that, that, that it is. All
1: right, well, I wanted to get your take about this polling that appeared in El País this week. This was a poll that was done for them by their pollster uh, 40DB, and i thought it was particularly interesting obviously we're coming up to another year with a general election it's been do you remember when all those general elections were coming along like buses it's, uh, it seems a a lifetime ago but unbelievably we're looking at another general election next year we've also got uh, uh regional and local elections earlier in the year and i thought this this polling was particularly interesting because it took a kind of couple of different um sort of situations uh one whereby The left is very splintered and Unidas Podemos is running um, separately um, from a potential new group called Sumar. Uh, And then another one where the left is a bit more united um, and it Came up with quite different outcomes for those two scenarios. So, um, give me your take, Rupert. What, what did you make of the of this polling that we saw earlier this week? Uh,
2: there have been a few polls this week, and I think the take home from uh, from from the from the polls is that no one's going to get a majority. No single party is going to get a majority, and so we're looking at coalition deals. And I think, unfortunately, Spain doesn't have a great culture of coalition. Deals compared to, to other countries like Germany, it's fairly unthinkable for the two largest parties, the the PP and the and the Socialists, to, to come together, which then means that they have to they have to do deals with, uh, basically populists, the PP which is ahead in the polls, uh, it's a. Uh, it, without a majority, could only do a deal with Vox, which is uh, far right. And again, if you describe Vox as far right on Twitter, your notifications blow up with, with people <laughs> saying, it's not far right, it's conservative. I'm sorry, it is far right. And, uh, and, the, and the, 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 the socialists, uh, although they have a, a weaker position than, than the PP, they have a whole range of potential allies. They have Podemos or Sumar or whatever. Which are basically communist-led populist left parties and uh, the nationalists. seems strange to someone outside uh, outside Spain to think why left-wing parties like the socialists would ally with right-wing parties like the like the like the regionalist nationalist parties. But in Spain, it kind of made sense because the left tends to be more interested in in federalism and and issues like that while the right tends to be more interested in central, centralization. so there's a it, it makes some kind of sense, but I think that the average voter in the street, doesn't like it very much.
1: <laughs> mm. So tell us, tell us about Sumar. What, what, what is Sumar, first of all? Where's Sumar coming from?
2: There's a whole soap opera about who leads the the the, the uh, post communist left wing parties. And Yolanda Díez, who's deputy deputy prime minister in the coalition government, she's a member of the Communist Party, and uh, she is creating a new platform called Sumar, which, for those who don't speak Spanish, more or less can be translated as Adding up addition or something like that, yeah. uh, and she wants to create this new platform where she would be the leader, and that has upset Pablo Iglesias, who uh, became famous around 2012 when there was a bad recession and lots of people were unemployed and there was lots of anger and misery and poverty in Spain. And he came up with the Podemos brand, which eventually changed to Unidos Podemos and later Unidas Podemos. And he stepped down from the government to run in Madrid, did very badly, got smashed by Ayuso, the PP's candidate there. And is now trying to Pull the strings from the from the background and is uh, a little reluctant to let uh, Yolanda Díaz take over the leadership of of that political space. Yeah. And you know, I think it's interesting that uh, that the, there are other movements called Mas Madrid, Mas País. Uh, that have split away from Podemos, and when you look at it, a lot of the a lot of the clashes are basically uh, questions of ego. Who's the leader?
1: So in this projections, in these projections, in this polling uh, from El País, we're pretty much seeing Unidas Podemos lose. Uh, more than a quarter of its or about two thirds of its seats it would go from 35 seats that it's currently got in the in the Congress to around 7 seats so what can we attribute that to what's been happening to an Unidas Podemos for it to lose um, such support in the polls
2: that's a great question and I think there are two main factors. Uh, The first factor is that Pedro Sánchez is inching into their space and has been adopting some of their narratives and letting them draft legislation and the second issue I think Podemos haven't had any experience of government before entering the coalition and Sánchez has given them enough rope, he's let them write some legislation and it's turned out that they are not particularly skilled legislators mm. the issue with the yes means yes con- consent law uh, that was drafted in a way that the judges uh, that lots of judges let sex offenders out of prison early caused huge amounts of anger especially amongst feminists and them must tried to blame it on the judges themselves rather than admitting that hey you know we, we, we this is the f- one of the first pieces of legislation we've ever written we messed up we'll do better in future and they, they, I think they got the tone completely wrong there. For the, for, for the people to the left of the Socialist Party, they start to think, well, it might be better to vote for Pedro, for Pedro Sánchez himself rather than, than Podemos and you know, so give him give him a few more seats to to, to to get things done. And he'll be doing the same kind of thing, but doing it, hopefully, a little more efficiently.
1: And it's also it's very interesting to see that not only is Unidas Podemos losing support, but the other upstart party that kind of came along and shook up Spain's two-party system. It used to just be the PSOE, the Socialist Party, and the PP, the Popular Party. But the support for Theodoranos citizens has completely disappeared over recent years. So what on earth is happening with them?
2: It's really interesting. And one thing that I think lots of people don't remember is what happened in 2018 in the run-up to the no-confidence vote. The The PP were in government and they were focusing on improving the economy and uh lots of the jobs were lots of jobs were being created, most of them with very short term contracts unfortunately. But things were kinda of going in the in the right direction. They didn't have a majority, so the were were voting for them. And uh there was a, cons- a corruption scandal that blew up. It was corruption on a truly epic scale. <laughs> and the PP's treasure was sentenced to prison along with a whole bunch of politicians. And it was, it was very shocking stuff. And Ciudadanos said that it could no longer support the PP. So Sánchez then tried to organise a vote of no confidence in Rajoy, the previous prime minister. And he went to Rivera, Albert Rivera, the leader of Ciudadanos, and tried to negotiate what he he could or should do a few years previously the and, and the socialists had agreed a, a, a kind of pro forma pact so they could have quite easily sat down and done a deal and rivera had one condition he said okay you can we will support the vote of no confidence but you need to put in a neutral figure like a former governor of the of the of the bank of spain because the way you No know, Confidence Votes work in Spain is that you need to name who will be the replacement prime minister. So, and that person then only will do one thing, which is to call elections. And the, the precedent there was what happened when uh, in Catalonia, uh, after they applied the Article 155, they just used it to call elections. So, you know, there's a there's a clear precedent there. And I think it's worth repeating. Because people people forget that Rivera was absolutely right. That would have been the cleanest and most democratic way to deal with the issue. Sanchez decided not to, which people say that people on the right sometimes say that he's an illegitimate uh, prime minister. And I think that's not true. He's perfectly legitimate. What he did was within the rules. But it wasn't quite as uh, clean cut as what as what Rivera was proposing. So he said that he was going to put himself in as prime minister and he would govern for a while. He said a few months and it ended up being around 10 months. And so he then went and spoke to Podemos and the nationalists and and uh, lots of parties who are outside Spain's mainstream to become prime minister, govern for 10 months without a majority and then called an election. And the bet that he was making was that when people see him on the news every night as as a very photogenic uh, prime minister taking the private jet and and going to European summits that people would start to think of him as a leader and that he would then uh, uh, that that would give him a boost in the polls I think it worked up to a point but but the I don't think it was a very good strategy because it really annoyed uh, Rivera and Rivella then said that he wouldn't he wouldn't do a deal with the socialists, and so in the first election in 2019 they could have easily done a deal together. And the and in the second uh, second election people vote, realized that, that because Theodoros would never vote do a deal with the with the with the with the socialists, there's no point really voting for them. So they 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 they, they collapsed and their their, their position has uh, has been disappearing since then they were set up as a kingmaker party so that the the socialists and the pp wouldn't have to do deals with nationalists and uh, but i think it's it's always worth bearing in mind that somewhere in a parallel universe uh, Sánchez said yes to Rivera (laughs) they (laughs) put in a a former governor of the Bank of Spain they called an election and between Ciudadanos and and the Socialists they they won a nice big majority and he governed as a centrist and a moderate and had a majority all through Covid and everything everything that's happened a lot of of Sánchez's problems are uh, uh, self-made based on that decision he made in 2018 and I think people often lose sight of that and kind of forget about the the circumstances around the around the vote in our confidence. Since Thutalanos is blowing up, the PP has made a very strong bid to pick up liberal voters and centrist voters. And Sánchez hasn't bothered at all. <laughs> so I think there's a clear dynamic. Part of the reason why the why the PP is ahead of the socialists is because they're making a much stronger play for liberal votes and people who used to vote for Thutalanos.
1: All right, so last question then. I'm going to ask you to call it. What do you think is going to happen at next year's general election? Do you think we're going Going to end up with a right-wing government, which is a coalition of PP and Vox, or are we going to stay in a similar situation to where we are now? And uh, have a, a an, another leftist administration.
2: I'm going to be a Bayesian and give you two, two uh, give you a two part answer. I think there's a 60% chance that it will be PP and Vox, and a 40% chance that it will be Sanchez and his allies. I will probably change those percentages <laughs> constantly throughout the year, but but I think that Spain's in a situation where what the average voter has seen what happens when you when you put Podemos and the nationalists in power and they need to see what happens when you put Vox in power, and they're probably not going to like it very much. And once we, once you get to the end of that situation, you will hopefully get a a situation where the two main parties can talk about national unity governments or or patriotic abstentions or. You know, uh, about creating an, an atmosphere where 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 the other side doesn't need to lean on populists in order to to govern
1: excellent well thank you very much rupert that's uh, some excellent insight i recommend that everyone goes and immediately follows you on twitter as i'm sure they are already and checks out your um sub stack so yeah we will no doubt come back to you when we get some more more polling data and uh, and come back for a bit more analysis so thank you very much for your time it's a pleasure thanks simon All right, well, for Media Watch this week, my attention was caught by the case of El Yoyas. If you haven't heard of him, and let's face it, why would you? He is best known for appearing on the Spanish version of Big Brother, otherwise known as Gran Hermano. El Yoyas, uh, whose real name is Carlos Navarro, is actually on the run from the justice system as he was supposed to have gone into jail last week after having been sentenced to five years and six months in prison for abusing his former partner, Faina Bethencourt, and their two children. In fact, El Yoyas, his actual nickname, comes from the threats he would make against his fellow contestants while he was in the, the Big Brother house. Uh, a Yoya being like the equivalent of, you know, I'll give you a, a clip round the ear. Now, bizarrely, Spanish daily El Mundo decided that it would be a good idea to meet with El Yoyas in a secret location, in this case in a forest, and grant him an interview in which he called for people to listen to him before he went into prison so that he could uh, defend his innocence. He claimed that he had been accused without any proof and that the domestic violence law in Spain is unjust and unconstitutional. Now, probably somewhat unsurprisingly, this has sparked something of a debate as to whether El Mundo was right to give him a voice. Um, I mean, there's nothing illegal in what the newspaper did by interviewing him, and it has a right to protect its sources. It's a legal right. It doesn't have to call the police on him, even though he is um, on the run from the justice system. Um, But, of course, he is a convicted uh, domestic abuser. So, in response, on Wednesday, his former partner, Bethancourt, um, published audio files of Navarro uh, admitting having grabbed her by the neck on more than one occasion as well as insulting and threatening her relatives Um, so yeah pretty nasty stuff and these audio these these, these recordings were played during the trial against uh, Navarro. Um, and so, yeah, for anyone who's heard them, there's not much doubt about how aggressively he treated his ex-partner. Um, Bethencourt wrote on social media, The truth was lost in a forest several days ago. Between the branches you could hear the wind, the birds, and a pile of lies. Um, my friend and former colleague Luth Sanchez-Millado, who's a fantastic columnist and television personality. Um, She waded into the debate on Twitter. She said that she would interview the devil if it was newsworthy, but in the case of El Yoyas, no, I don't think so. He is laughing in the face of the state, just like he is with his wife and his children. He's playing uh, the victim. And in the online daily Publico column by Ana Bernal Trivigno, broke down just why she thought El Mundo shouldn't have interviewed him, given the wealth of evidence that was uh, used against him in court during his domestic abuse trial. So I guess, yeah, probably bad call on the part of El Mundo to go ahead with the interview in the first place. I'm not sure if it um, really had the... Uh, newsworthiness that uh, Luth was talking about but hey let's hope El Yoyas keeps up his media appearances just long enough for the police to catch up with him well unless you are one of our very sensible patreon subscribers all that's left now is for Lily's roundup of this week's other news
0: Well, there's plenty of news in this week's Roundup, Simon. First up, Spain's former King Juan Carlos has been granted partial immunity in the UK in his ongoing court disputes with former mistress Karina Larson. UK magistrates said the acts prior to his abdication cannot be tried in the United Kingdom, but that doesn't mean the case is closed, as much of it centres around his actions during their breakup and post his 2014 abdication. train collision in Barcelona has injured more than 150 people. The two Barcelona-bound passenger trains collided early Wednesday morning, injuring 155, though none seriously. 39 passengers were later taken to medical centres for further treatment. A plane from Morocco has made an emergency landing in Barcelona this week, with 28 passengers fleeing on the tarmac. The commercial flight from Casablanca to Istanbul landed in Spain after a pregnant woman told attendants that her water broke. Once the plane made the emergency landing on Spanish soil, some passengers climbed out of the plane and ran away on foot. The pregnant woman was later arrested and accused of faking her early labor. Fourteen people are still missing as police continue to investigate how this happened. A Costa del Sol worker has been injured after a mini tornado whipped through Marbella on Monday. The tiny tornado took down trees and power lines and damaged roofs and even the Costa del Sol hospital. The state weather agency said it only lasted about a minute and was neither normal nor too exceptional.
1: All right, well, let's wrap it up there. This has been episode three of season three of La Portada. Your hosts were Lily Mayers and me, Simon Hunter, and this episode was recorded on December the 9th in Madrid
0: and Javier. Don't forget to get in touch. Our socials are at La Portada Pod and our email is laportadapod at gmail.com. You can also tweet us directly at Simon in Madrid and at Lily Mayers.
1: Please support us on Patreon if you haven't already. You'll get the episode when it's hot off the press and you'll be able to enjoy all of our bonus content. So head to patreon.com forward slash La Portada and invite us to a
0: relaxing cup of café con leche in Plaza Mayor.
1: Hasta la semana, giving. ¡Hasta luego!